Good evening and welcome to episode 377 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamandu Wakumalo. It's a Thursday edition of the Private Property Podcast. If you join us for the first time, where have you been? You've been missing out on the best uh, and the only daily property show in South Africa catering to your property needs. Do make sure that you go to our Facebook or our YouTube page to catch up on all the great episodes that you have already missed out on. And to all our regular viewers at home from you know, watching us on Instagram, on YouTube, on Facebook, welcome to it. You know how we do every single weekday. You and I have an appointment at 7 p.m. where I'm always in conversation with a property expert who helps us navigate our property journey. Doesn't matter where you are on a property journey, we're certainly here to hold your hand and make sure that you get your answers, uh, your questions answered rather, from our top experts. And talking about you know, different kinds of shows that you can look forward to, it is, of course, a Thursday. So later on this evening, you can look forward to Mbalino bringing you the Farming Podcast, and that's going to be coming to your screens at 8 p.m. And you can catch Mbali at the same time on Tuesdays uh, with the Farming Podcast, always talking agriculture. 
And every Mondays and Fridays, Chad brings you the Home Shoppers Show, where he's always taking us through incredible properties that you can find on www.privateproperty.co.za. And of course, on Wednesdays, Esther Carlson brings you the first time home buyer show, where she's always in conversation with people who've not only walked that first time home buying journey, but have gone on to grow their property portfolios from stranger to stranger. Well, those are great shows that you can look forward to every single weekday at 8 p.m. Do make sure that you set your alarms and tune in to those shows. And one of the other great things that we have going, of course, is on our Facebook page, where we're running an incredible competition. And all you have to do to stand a chance of walking away with 500 rands in cash every single day right here on the Private Property Podcast with myself, is to make sure you go comment on the pinned post on our Facebook page. You want to find out some of the great property advice that you have picked up along the way. And if we call out your name on the show, all you have to do is to drop us a message down here below to claim your prize. That's it certainly is that easy uh, to walk away with some cash prizes. And I'm already seeing the great love that we're getting on our Facebook page. It's Lucimania sending those green hearts. When you see where Cynthia Puma, Abeda Albertain, also sending some love. Do keep the love coming this evening. As we tackle a topic that I absolutely love, because one of the big things with uh, property is the property is finance, but property is also law. So we really need to understand uh, you know, the legal implications when we talk all things property and the different things that you need to always be aware of, whether you're buying a property, selling your property, you're renting your property, or you are a tenant who's about to rent. But this time we're going to be looking at understanding the different types of property contracts um, that you're going to encounter. And we'll be looking primarily at, uh, you know, when you're looking to buy or to sell, those are the major contracts that we're going to be looking at, what you need to be aware of, some of the do's and don'ts uh, when we talk about that. And of course, also looking into the bond papers that you're going to sign with the financial institution that's going to be financing your property. I know how intimidating those papers can be. There are usually so many things going on there. You don't quite know where to start. And we'll be unpacking a little bit about what you can expect and, of course, how you can uh, certainly make sense of it all. And to help us get a good sense of the different types of property contracts this evening, I'm joined by Zinat Hussain, who is a partner at Denton's. Uh, Zinat, good evening, and thank you so much for joining us on the show. Good evening, Zama. Thank you so much for having me. Real uh, honor to be on your show, and I'm very excited to interact with all of your viewers. It's such a pleasure to have you with us, uh, Zinat. I think the, the big place where I'd like us to start with our conversation uh, this evening is to understand, you know, just how important it is for viewers at home to get a sense of uh, the legal implications when it comes to their property journey. Because I think, as I was even saying to you, oftentimes we think we can just change our minds. And this is whether you're looking to buy or looking to sell. Uh, sometimes even when you're a tenant, but, you know, we're not going to look too much into the tenant side. But we're looking to buy and looking to sell. And perhaps you've got an estate agent that's saying, ah, just quickly sign, it's okay. You can pull out. Perhaps just share, share almost paint a picture of, what the severity of signing any legal document, any document for that matter, uh, when you are on your home ownership journey? I'm so glad you asked that question, Sama. You know, when you're buying a property, it's always exciting. You, you go and you view something you really like, you're selling a home, you have great expectations of your transaction. And we sometimes get carried away. We don't understand the legal ramifications of, of what we're getting into. 
So yes, you are very correct in that the agreements that you sign are fundamental. They're very important. They're not a good thing. The document you're signing has legal repercussions. Um, you're binding yourself to an agreement with the other party to either buy or to sell. The various conditions in the agreement that you undertake to abide by, to fulfill. And it is not a simple case of, um, you know, I'll sign the agreement and I'll think about it. If I change my mind in two days' time, I'll be able to walk away. It isn't that simple. Um, we, we find it so often that clients, you know, have a change of heart and then look to us to say, I, I want to get out. How do I get out? But I don't want to have to suffer the repercussions. There are legal ramifications. Um, there are cost implications if you want to try and get out. And it's not as simple as you think it is. You then have to find a way of legally terminating the agreement, which comes with its own consequences. So I definitely agree that clients, uh, purchasers and sellers need to make sure that they get the proper legal advice. There's nothing wrong with telling your estate agent that I want to have the time to read through this document, get my attorney to look through it, give me some personal advice, and then conclude it. Um, don't be hasty. It's a very big step that you're taking, and it comes with legal ramifications. Mm. And, and, you know, Zina, I'm actually so glad that you also pointed out that there are legal ways to terminate, um, you know, these contracts. And we'll look at that a little bit later on, because I think that there are certain circumstances where really as the buyer, uh, you're very clear that you can no longer continue with the transaction. Or perhaps as the seller, you becomes very clear that you can no longer continue with the transaction for whatever reason, right? And exploring what those legal channels are and also understanding, you know, the financial implications of, you know, that termination is also equally important. But before we go I want us to look in at the offer to purchase because this is usually the very big starting point and often the very first sort of big contract um, that many of us are going to encounter when we're looking to buy a property. Uh, and we've spoken about the offer to purchase on different you know, occasions on the show. But when we look at it from a contractual perspective, what are some of the do's and don'ts from, you know, as a buyer that you need to just top of mind be aware of um, when you get that offer to purchase or let's say even after you view the house and you're still not quite you know, certain if you want it or not, and you may have an estate agent who you know, hypes you up and says, look, the property's in demand, I've got other people coming to view, and we know a lot of them you know, do this. So what are some of the key do's and don'ts as, as a prospective buyer should you be aware of when it comes to the offer to purchase? I say the very first thing is make sure you read and understand the contents of the offer before you sign. If you don't understand it, get legal advice. They're not always in the simplest English terms, and it's important that you understand what you're signing. So read carefully before you put your signature to it. The other thing that I always um, tell uh, purchasers, and I see this happening quite often, everything that you agree on with your seller, with your agent, make sure that it's recorded in the agreement. Because if there's something that is agreed upon not recorded in the agreement, it becomes very difficult to enforce it thereafter. So make sure that you include it in the agreement. Make sure that you keep a copy of the agreement after you've signed it. Very important because if you need to refer back to it and you don't have a copy and the parties get into some sort of legal tussle, it's very difficult to then get a contract uh, a copy out so that we can have regard to it. So I think those are the first three things that popped in my mind. If you, if you don't understand it, never feel shy to ask for advice. Make sure you understand what, you, what you're signing before you sign it. Mm. And that's such a big one. There's no such thing as a stupid question, especially okay. when you consider just how big a commitment this is. Uh, and regardless of how much you're going to be spending on your property, this is a quite a huge step. And not many of us do this regularly enough to be confident. Yes. 
uh, that we, you know, know every step of the way. Now, you know, one of the things that you actually mentioned, and, and I love this one because we, we, you know, have a conversation with the estate agent. Uh, sometimes when you're viewing or even have a second viewing that you want X or Y you know, included or you want the thing to you ask, you know, is it going to come with this? Uh, we know fixtures tend to be some of those unfortunate things where some sellers end up removing certain aspects uh, or certain items that are on the property that you thought are going to come with the property. When we look at just some of the things that we should probably include, uh, you know, as we sort of agree, perhaps just share a few things that when you see it and you're viewing that you would forget to actually include. Because as I was saying, we know it's fixtures that that's quite a big one uh, where somebody will end up taking out parts of the entertainment area because they use, you know, very expensive finishes. But when we actually look at things that people would typically forget to rather put in that OTP um, as opposed to just having that verbal conversation with the estate agent, what are some of the key things that you'd say, listen, put it in there? You know, you forget this, but make sure that you do actually include it. I think the key thing is um, have the conversation with the estate agent, but make sure the seller is in the conversation as well, because your estate agent is facilitating the transaction. The transaction is at the end of the day with your seller. So make sure that, you know, the communication channels are open. Um, in terms of what to include in the offer, um, you know, the rule of thumb is when you, when you walk through a property, um, everything that's affixed to the property stays with the property. So, for example, entertainment, um, Bryce, five uh, entertainment center that's built into the property cannot be removed. Um, uh, curtain rails cannot be removed. Things like that. Anything that if you move from the property, takes away from the property, damages the property in any way, cannot be removed. But if you're walking through the house and you see the curtains and they go really well with the, with the lounge, um, you know, if you want it, arrange with the seller that you're going to pay X for it and include it in the offer. Um, there's a clause in every offer to purchase, by and large, that says that this agreement is the full agreement. And so if you include it in the agreement and you subsequently come to your attorney and say, but the seller told me he was going to give the curtains with the property, it's very difficult for your attorney to enforce that. It's next to impossible because you've got that clause in the agreement that says this is the whole agreement. So um, I would say make sure that everything you discuss is, is recorded in the agreement. Uh, make sure to inspect the property carefully. Understand what it is that you're buying, what it is that you're getting, and what you're not getting. What is the seller taking with him? Mm. And that's such a key one. I think you know, make sure you include everything in writing uh, and in the offer to purchase itself. Because I think the email alone is not sufficient. It's and not. as you point out, Zinette, that sometimes you may be having this email correspondence or WhatsApp correspondence with the estate agent, uh, but you actually want to make sure that the owner is also aware of whatever it is the estate agent is agreeing to. And then, of course, it gets included um, in the offer to purchase. I'm seeing all the love that we're getting on our social media. Pages Josh uh, Valdivel uh, watching us on Facebook, uh, Zalfa Kasim also watching us on Facebook, sending those screen cards. Martha Shimang is sending a comment saying, Read, read, read that contract, get it checked by a legal practitioner. And that's such an important one. I think often a lot of attorneys you know, are very happy to have a quick look at it because yes. they also understand that uh, not a lot of people uh, you know, understand it. And you'll find that. If anything, I mean, I've come across many attorneys who actually even just do that for free yeah. in terms of just a quick read and they'll say, look, this, be careful of this, that, and that, and that's it. Because more often than not, uh, that's, it doesn't even take them that long. You know, offer to purchase agreements aren't usually 50 pages long. 
background and they would know key things to quickly look out for and just bring to your attention. Um, a comment here coming through from Donald Sishok, I say it's better to read a property contract repeatedly until they understand before making a decision. And that's such, such a big one. Um, and I want us to take a quick break uh, to see who the lucky winner this evening is of that competition that we run every single weekday right here on the property podcast with myself. When we come back, we're going to be looking at the, the, the contract you enter into with the financial institution. Because this is one that we don't talk about enough. Uh, it's very overwhelming. I mean, dealing with banks is also just so overwhelming. And you get it and you just think, ah, let me initial every page, sign it at the end, as opposed to really getting a good grasp of what it is you're signing up for. Key things to look um, for as you're reading um, those bond papers before, of course, ultimately going through to the attorneys and signing the physical um, uh, papers as well. But let's take a quick break and see who the lucky winner this evening is. And that lucky winner this evening is Dina Pirayachi. Dina Pirayachi is the lucky winner. Excuse me for pronouncing your name so terribly. Uh, Dina, I do hope that you are watching. If you are, drop us a message down here below. We've got 500 rands in the money bag that is up for grabs for you this evening. So do make sure that you drop us a message in order to claim your Price. And as we continue the conversation on understanding different types of property contracts, I'm joined this evening by uh, Zina Tusin, who is the partner at Dentons, and really exploring what you need to be aware of, some of the do's and don'ts, and of course, the importance of you understanding um, any contract that you're going to sign, especially on your home ownership journey. Now, Zina, let's look then at the bond papers, because I think that is the one that is just so intimidating. You know, you've gone through the trouble of viewing different properties, and you finally found the one that you love, and you go and you sign this offer to purchase, and you're even happy with the way you've negotiated the purchase price, you've negotiated, let's say you wanted extra things to be included or to be left in the property. So you're really happy with that. You've now got this offer to purchase that you sent to the bank. Uh, and you're even happy with, say, the different kinds of offers that different banks are you know, giving or sending your way. And they're the ground paper, the quote that they usually first send for you to accept that, okay, you're actually going to uh, take bank A or B or whatever the case is. I think when we first just look at the quote, let's look at how binding that quote is. Because before we obviously get to the bond because itself, we first, you know, uh, sign the quote. How binding is that quote? Can you, after four days of having signed it, then wake up and say, yo, actually, no, no, no. I don't want to go ahead with, let's say, bank, with this particular bank. I want to change banks. Or I just want to, you know, stop this process altogether. So, yes, you're quite right. Um, the process of the bond um, registration is quite daunting. I mean, you walk into the attorney's office and you have a stack of papers in front of you that probably take you the better part of an hour to sign. It is very, very intimidating. Um, the key thing with the documentation, you quite rightly point out, is make sure, again, that you read and understand everything. And, and I'm glad that I'm going to get the opportunity to shed some light on that. In terms of the quotation, 
Um, you get the quotation issued by the bank. The quotation details all the financial information, what amount is loaned to you, the period of your loan, the interest rate, etc. You have the option to sign the quotation or not sign the quotation. If you don't sign the quotation, it lapses. The offer is no longer available to you by the bank. You accept it. That then is communicated back to the bank. And uh, an official bond grant is then issued, which is then communicated to the transferring attorney. And the implication of that uh, financial bond grant is that it, um, it, it renders your, if in the event that your sale is subject to a, what you call a mortgage contingency or a suspensive condition, the issuing of that final bond grant renders that condition final and fulfilled. So your agreement is now binding and, then, and, and the repercussions of the agreement therefore uh, into place. So, you know, I, I would I would urge your viewers not to take the signing of the bond grant, the bond quotation very lightly. Um, make sure again that you understand everything. Feel free to ask your bond consultant. They're always very happy to assist you. Or ask an attorney again to help you, but understand what you're signing before you sign it because you do not want to sign it and then have the hassle of wanting to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a big one to understand that you, you in the event where you know, one of the suspensive clauses, and this is one that's um, often obviously in, in, in a lot of offer to purchase agreements that you're going to, you know, get uh, funding secured. I think one of the things that people sometimes don't do, and we've even said this in the show, is uh, instead of having a blanket one that, you know, you're going to get uh, funding secured, actually stipulate that you may want 100% uh, secured and up to, let's say, maximum prime. So maybe you're aiming for a prime minus one or prime minus you know, 0.25. But if a bank comes and you know, gives you prime, let's say, plus 0.5, then you know that that suspensive clause effectively hasn't been made because of all the financial institutions that you engage with, you still haven't received uh, you know, a quote that's to your satisfaction. And I think that's something that people at home tend to not know to at least include. And some end up having an 80% LTV from all the banks, just at different interest rates. And the clause is now met, that suspensive condition is met, but they hadn't budgeted, you know, for the for 20% uh, deposit. And I think that becomes such a crucial one for so many of us to be aware of. I only learned this after the fact. And luckily, I've been fortunate. I was always getting 100%, you know, LTV. And, and so by the time I learned that trick, I made it a standard thing to include it in the event where one day I don't get the interest rate that I may want. And, and you want to be able to walk away from that deal um, as much as possible. And then when we look then at Zina, that particular contract that you then enter into um, with the bank. So you You've chosen Bank X, um, you know, his quote, and you sign the papers, and of course they send the instruction um, to the bond registration attorneys and the transferring attorneys. What are some of the do's and don'ts during that process? What do we need to be aware of once we've signed that? Um, even from a legal perspective, in terms of what we can and cannot do um, in that part of our uh, bond journey. I think uh, a very important point that I'd like to make here regarding the bond journey is. When you accept the bond grant, your bank allocates an attorney to do the bond registration who's an attorney on their panel. That is a separate attorney from your transferring attorney. People always get confused. I've been, I've been contacted by another attorney already. Why are you contacting me? Because they're two separate journeys. They're two separate attorneys doing two separate transactions. So your transfer runs currently with your bond registration. Um, they're also two separate fees. So you've got to pay transfer fees and you've got to pay bond registration fees. And, and, and it's very important that you budget for these fees because 
more often than not, we get people who come to us and say, but we're buying the property and we budgeted for those fees. We didn't know we had to pay for a bond registration fee. Or, or we paid the bank the initiation fee or the valuation fee. Why do I need to pay another fee again? So there's all of these fees that, that come with the bond registration process. And be sure to understand what you're signing up for when you do. Um, once the bank accepts uh, or gives you your bond grant and your bond attorney contacts you, there's then a process that you've got to follow where you've got to go in and sign bond documentation with them. And that's that huge daunting stack of papers that they put in front of you and you've got to initial every page. Feel free to ask the questions. What am I signing? Take me through the salient terms of this. Of this. Um, point out to me, what is my interest rate? Make sure that it matches what you thought you were going to be getting. My bond instrument every month and the bond instrument, including my service fees. Um, what are my insurance requirements? Do I need to take out insurance on the property? Do I need to have life insurance? Um, is that required of me? Um, you know, read, read the agreement in terms of what happens should you not be able to pay your bond instrument. Um, you know, those are all key things that you need to understand before you put pen to paper when you're signing those bond documents. You know, Zinette, you, you're highlighting earlier that one of the things that people typically tend to not know is uh, that they have to also budget for the bond registration attorneys. The viewers at home, I know they're all chuckling with me. You saw me chuckling there <laughs> behind the scenes. And it's because I want to share the story of how when I started my property journey, I bought two properties at a go and I had done all this research and knew I had to budget for an attorney, but all the research that I had done, I thought I'm only a budgeting for one attorney um, when I buy a property. Because I was buying two properties and both were actually bonded, it meant I was actually going to be paying four attorneys and not two. And so the first two invoices came in. I knew exactly what was happening. By the time the third and the fourth one came in, I thought, you know, this is some kind of identity theft. I was very confused about what is happening, who these people are and what these invoices were. And it really did take one of the attorneys explaining to me that, no, so remember you're buying a property, it's a bonded property. And with each property, you know, you're going to the transferring attorneys. They are, you know, for the property that I was dealing with with them, it would be these attorneys. And then you also have the bond registration attorneys. And that, as you're saying, uh, you know, they're on the bank's panel. It's the bank that uh, essentially, you know, procures your services and makes sure that uh, the, the, the work is carried out. So I think that's such a big one when, you don't know about it and haven't budgeted for it that so many of us um, often unfortunately forget along our journey. And taking more of your questions and comments at home this evening as we're looking at understanding different types of property contracts and in conversation with Zina Tristan, who is a partner at Dentons and uh, Donald Shuka saying property buying must be included as a school subject because plenty of people don't know the rules when buying property. I think as somebody who, who's studying this stuff, I don't know if we should be including it so much as a school subject, uh, but it's certainly we need to make people aware of just the basics when it comes to property, because I must say it can be uh, quite a bit. And you know, Martha following up saying, just a reminder, following Monday's show to include provisions for independent and professional home inspections in the OTP. And that's actually such a big one, especially when you're buying you know, standalone houses Oftentimes in a lot of um, sectional title communities where it's an apartment, you'll find that more often than not, things tend to be above board. I mean, we know the exceptions, unfortunately, but this is this is particularly a big thing when you know you're buying uh, you know, standalone houses where you may not be able to see what is wrong. And when you buy that property, you are going to have to fix whatever is wrong with it. Whereas 
more often than not in you know sectional title communities, depending on what the thing that is wrong, um, there may be provision for it to be covered um, by you know the body corporate. And I think um, you know we've been look, talking a lot from the buy side. Then on the sell side, then from uh, people who are looking to sell their property, we know that there are quite a number of people uh, during this period who are doing that. Uh, w- what should they be aware of in terms of the contracts that, or the contract rather, that uh, they're going to have to um, you know sign? Certainly, especially if your property is bonded, and the do's and don'ts for them as you know they obviously cancel the bond and work with the bond cancellation attorneys. I think the first contract that they're going to sign is probably going to be with an estate agent, including the services of an estate agent to market your property and sell it for you. Make sure you understand what you're getting into. Um, usually there's a, a time period that you allow them to have a mandate to market the property for. Um, understand whether you're giving them a sole mandate uh, or, or an open mandate. If it's a sole mandate, you are not allowed to, to get your own purchaser in. Or if you do, you're still liable for permission. So understand those things and again, feel free to get legal advice before you sign it. In terms of your sale agreement, um, you know, uh, Zama, one of the key things is understand the timeframes um, and, and the expectations from the agreement. So um, most often you find the seller making certain um, arrangements or commitments based off this transaction, um, not understanding the, the timeframes as to when the finances are going to be available from the proceeds of the sale. Um, you know, have a chat with the attorney to understand when you can commit to certain other, um, you know, ventures of the finances. Um, when you, if you do have a property that is bonded, you're going to have to cancel that bond in order to transfer the property. Usually that process is pretty seamless because your transferring attorney takes care of most of it. You do have to pay a bond cancellation fee. It's it's about three, three and a half to 4,000 rand. Um, beware of the fact that you're going to have to get compliance certificates, which will cost you money. Um, it's, it's you know dependent on on the, the work that needs to be done to bring the property up to compliance status. Um, you have a chat with your attorney to understand what rates clearance is and what you're in for in terms of um, payment, uh, so that you can make the proper allowances. Because most times, what happens is the parties are not ready; they're not aware of these things that they need to make provision for. And that has the inevitable result of delaying the transaction because of not being able to access these funds. Um, so, so have a chat with your attorney if you need to have a chat with your with your uh, agent before that. And I think another key thing is also the seller has the right to appoint an attorney of their choice. So have your chat with your attorney even before you accept an offer. But like I said at the beginning, similarly with the purchaser, when you sign the offer, it becomes binding and um, the repercussions that flow from that. So understand what you're signing before you put pen to paper. And as we, you know, draw to the end of our conversation, I do hope the last few minutes our winner is going to raise their hand and claim that 500 rands that is in the money bag. Of course, if they don't, it's going to roll over to a thousand rands tomorrow evening. Uh, I've got a comment coming through from YouTube. Uh, Tracy Stanley saying, great conversation topic. Thank you very much there, uh, Tracy. And uh, Zina, I can't let you go before we touch on this one. You know, when you then want to legally terminate, uh, you know, a contract, and let's start perhaps when you are the buyer looking to terminate uh, the contract that you've uh, signed in terms of the offer to purchase. And and let's assume this is at the stage where you've met the suspensive conditions. Um, so you actually went perhaps you're even working with the bond originator from the state agent side, and you were you had received quotes that uh, were satisfactory in terms of meeting that suspensive condition. 
what, how do you then sort of legally terminate that contract um, when you know that you can no longer go ahead with um, buying that particular property? Once you've made the suspensive conditions of sale, it becomes very difficult because your agreement of sale is, is finally binding. Mm-hmm. If you don't comply with your obligations, that means legally is that you're in breach of the agreement and you cannot fulfill your obligations. Your failure to fulfill those obligations allows the seller or, or the other party to, to, uh, to, can, or, or to cancel the sale and hold you liable for damages. So what would happen is the other party would give you a notice period dictated to dictated by the agreement, so seven days, 10 days, whatever the agreement stipulates, you would have that period of time to remedy your breach. And if you don't, the agreement is then cancelled. If it is cancelled, you could be liable for damages. In South Africa, we're governed by a principle that says you can only be liable for damages that have actually been sustained. So if the other party has suffered any kind of financial patrimonial loss that they can prove and that they can quantify, you will then be held liable for that. So you would be able to get out of the agreement but not unscathed. Mm-hmm. And then I think on the sell side, when you're now looking to uh, you know, get out of selling your property, the other party has signed the OTP, they've gone and secured you know, uh, the, the grant from the bank, and before you even sign perhaps the transfer papers, you have a change of heart that, look, you actually want this to halt. Or even if, let's say, you've signed the transfer papers, because that usually happens, they pretty much happen concurrently. Yes. But of course, the matter is not up for, for prep yet. We're still a few weeks out uh, from that happening. So during that period, you want to pull out of the agreement. How do you then legally do so? And what should you be aware of? Should you choose that route? So the same provisions apply again. You would be in breach if you wanted to pull out of the agreement. You would be repudiating on the agreement. Um, the, the buyer would have the right of recourse to hold you liable for any damages that they would have sustained. Um, in instances like that, if you want to avoid any sort of legal repercussions, we always suggest that the parties sit down and negotiate and see if they can come to a sort of a settlement, a meeting of the minds to say, this is my circumstances, this is why I want to pull out. Can we uh, come to a medium, uh, you know, a, a, a compromise somewhere where it works for all of us? But if it doesn't go down that route and it becomes legal, then you could be liable for damages. And again, you uh, you know the same notice periods would apply, the same processes would apply, and the same damages would apply. Mm-hmm. Now, any final tips as we wrap up this uh, conversation this evening? Any final tips for our viewers at home when it comes to uh, you know, making really good sense of legal contracts that they're going to make? Uh, use of or certainly be signing throughout their home ownership journey uh, that they really need to always bear in mind regardless of whether they are the buyer or they are the seller? I think, um, you know, property is very exciting. That's why I love it so much. And don't be afraid of the agreements. Don't be afraid of the legal repercussions. Just be wary. Just ask the questions. Be overly, uh, you know, uh, inquisitive. Never feel shy. There's never such a thing as a stupid question. Um, educate yourself. I think when, when you come from a place of being equipped with knowing what you're doing in the property space, you know, it's, it's a very exciting space to be in. So my only advice would be is, is, is don't be put off by the legal terminology and the legal jargon. Just ask the questions. Um, lawyers are always happy to assist. Um, we we want to make the journey as simple as possible and enjoyable as well. So ask the questions and, and, and just be aware, be informed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually just such a great place to leave it at, that don't be scared, 
uh, and really be inquisitive. They be overly inquisitive. Don't be afraid to ask any questions. Uh, there are legal uh, you know, practitioners that are there to help you along this journey. Don't be scared to ask them. Uh, there's no such thing as a silly question, uh, regardless of, of what you know, that question is, whether you're a buyer or you're a seller. And you really want to make sure that you're confident when you sign uh, any document and you know what you are signing. I think the big thing is, you know, something coming back to bite you and you say you didn't know, you were not aware, uh, you know, nobody extended to you. Rather sit down with somebody and explain everything line for line uh, if there's something that you do not understand. Uh, Zina, we are going to leave it there this evening. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's been such a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Zama. I appreciate the opportunity. And that is Zina Tusen, who is a partner at Denton's, uh, wrapping up the Thursday edition of the Private Property Podcast with myself, Izamantungwa Kumalo. I'm going to squeeze in that last comment from Umenzi Butelezi saying, don't be afraid, but know what you're getting yourself into. And that's really a great summary of our conversation this evening. I see the lucky winner, unfortunately, didn't claim that 500 rands. We've got a roll over. Uh, you can expect 1,000 rands in the money bag tomorrow evening. Well, I am off. Do look forward to the, um, the farming podcast with Mbali Nogo at 8 p.m. I'll be back on the screen tomorrow.